You see, the struggles that my grandfather went through, I had the chance, and I took the chance, to avoid them because he told me about them and he told me how to avoid them. The mistakes my father made growing up, I was able to avoid because he told me about them and told me how to avoid them. Because of your example, I now live my life following hard after Jesus. Because you showed me what it means to be human and what it means to be eternal, I now live my life pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus. Because you taught me the value of eternity, I know that we'll never be apart, even after death. Because of you, I am who I am today. Psalm 78 instructs us to tell the generations to come of the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. When a grandfather passes down knowledge to his son or daughter, and then they in turn pass it down to their children and so on and so forth, that's called leaving a legacy. If that legacy involves a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we're leaving a lasting legacy that leads to God. In today's sermon, Herman Mason describes just what that means to leave a lasting legacy that leads to God. Amen. Well, it's Father's Day. And uh, I got a little nervous. Some of you got here a little bit later than normal. And uh, Josh was praying before we started for the worship team and just said, you know, I know it's normally a little bit lighter on Father's Day. But, and man, I stopped. I didn't even hear what else he said praying. I thought, is that why Dad let me preach today? <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. So I want to talk to you today about fathers. I think it'd be appropriate since it's Father's Day. Makes sense, right? So... It'd also be appropriate for me to tell you a Father's Day story. And there was a stranger walking down the road, and he saw a family, actually a dad and his three kids, playing miniature golf. And he felt the need to just interact, and so he, he called out and asked who was winning. And one of the kids replied, I am. And one of the other kids said, no, I am. And the third kid said, no, I am. And the dad, sweat pouring down his face, obviously tired, had been just really giving it all he had for the kids, looked at the man and said, their mother is winning. <laughs> I want to read to you a little letter I wrote to Dad. Starts out like this. Dear Dad, how many times have I stumbled? How many times have you been there to strengthen me? How many times have I gone against your wisdom only to find your way was better? How many times have you been there to forgive and restore me? How many times have I seen you sacrifice only to have me selfishly take more and more? How many times have you comforted me in the night when I worry about the things I cannot control? How many times have you healed my broken heart? How many times have you let me cry about the things going wrong in my life? And how many times have you dried those tears and taught me to rejoice in the things going right in my life? With every sunrise, I'm reminded of all the things you've done for me. You gave me life. You've given me food. You've given me shelter. You've given me unconditional love. You've given me hope. You've given me strength. You've shown me a way when I thought none was possible. You've sacrificed, sacrificed, sacrificed so that I can have more, so that I can have hope. My prayer is that I'm becoming the man you intended me to be, that when you see me, you are proud of me, that you want to brag to everyone around you. My hope is that I can pass along to my children the lessons you've taught me over the years and continue to teach me still today. My hope is that I will continue creating the lasting legacy that ultimately leads to you, God. 
Did you think I was writing that to my earthly father? Well, the truth is that the reason you thought I was writing it to my earthly father is that my earthly father did and does portray a lot of those same qualities. But I was really writing that letter right there to God the Father. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it tells us who God is, tells us who Jesus is. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. King James Version says Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah tells it, foretells it. He's our Father. If you don't know this already, regardless of your childhood, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your relationship with your father, whether your father's still alive or not, your earthly father, you should be able to relate to that letter to our heavenly father. You know, Jesus wants a relationship so badly with you that he died just to have that relationship. I want to go through a few scriptures that seem not trivial, they're extremely important, but they've been a part of my life and probably your lives for so long that sometimes we skip over them because we want, we want more meat. We want more of the, the deep stuff. We want to be wowed. But you know what? Sometimes we need to go back to the basics and remind ourselves just what God did for us. You know, God is dying. He died, actually, to have that relationship with us. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, to have eternal life. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verse 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we need do is call out to him. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, sometimes we convince ourselves that we're not worthy. And, and the reality is we're not, but none of us are. That's the difference. Some of us feel like as individuals we're not worthy. We don't grasp the fact that nobody is worthy. That's the reason Jesus had to come and die for us so that through him we could become worthy. You see, Romans tells us that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us have been able to avoid that. Jesus Christ is the only person who took on flesh form and was able to lead the perfect life. But even he, when he was born, had to be born not from an earthly father or else the sin from back in Adam's day would have, trans, uh, would have been uh, put on him and he would have been just like us from the beginning, from birth. We've all sinned. If you ever tell yourself you're not worthy, you can go ahead and say that's correct, but let's move on. None of us are worthy except for Jesus Christ. But we all have a choice in the way our journey ends. You know, we've talked a lot lately at the church and in different circles that I run about, you know, struggles that we have growing up and struggles that we have with God when bad things happen. 
I had to go to a funeral Friday from a cousin who I got to see once in a while, but I didn't have a deep relationship with him. But he just got overwhelmed by this world. He got overwhelmed by his thoughts. He got overwhelmed by thinking that he wasn't worthy and that nothing could save him, and he took his own life. 27 years old, father of three. And he's not the only person that buys into those lies. You see, Jesus made a way out. Jesus took on all of our sin and all of our transgressions so that we would have a choice. God's not doing bad things to us. The sin that entered this world created a world that has evil, that has bad things in it. God's not tempting us, and God's not doing anything bad to us. As a matter of fact, he's doing the opposite. He's trying to save us. He's trying to lift us up. He's trying to convince us that we are worthy. But he's also giving us a choice. You see, your choice is simple, and you only have two choices. There is not a third option. You're either going to choose him or you're not. Sin will always, always lead to death. Our natural bodies are going to pass away one day. Sin is going to lead to death. Romans 6 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, that's something you're getting paid for work you're doing, right? If you're working hard not to get to God, the wages of those choices is going to be death. The worst part is it means eternal separation from Jesus Christ. But Jesus gave us another option. And notice it says a free gift of God. You know, I'm often reminded that it's like Christmas time. And you got that present sitting underneath the tree. But you have to wait until Christmas Day, don't you? Anybody of you have the parent that forgot to give you one of your presents on Christmas Day? I didn't, but my wife is famous for leaving out a present every year. So much so the boys just kind of come to expect it now. Sometimes they're looking for another present, and every once in a while we've given them all out. But do you know that they don't actually have that present until they open it? It's sitting there. They can see it. It's something tangible. They don't know exactly what's inside, but they know it's free to them, and they know it's a gift from their parents who love them. Meaning, why would I give them something that they don't want? God's offering us a gift. We don't know exactly what's inside, meaning that relationship. I can tell you about my relationship with Jesus. And that will help you a little bit. But until you experience that relationship, until you open that box, and until you dig in and experience that relationship, you will never, ever understand what's inside of that gift, that free gift. And why would our Father give us something we didn't want or need? He won't. He doesn't. But we have to open that gift. We have to dig in for that relationship. We have to choose Jesus. Jesus already chose us. He chose us when he came down, took on all of our sin, 
allowed himself, did you hear me? Allowed himself to be crucified. He didn't do anything to deserve that, but he loved us so much. He knew the only way to give us that free gift was for him to come in and take away the sin that entered the world. And he loved us so much that he did that. He also made it very simple. You know, I do enjoy debating the Bible, and I do enjoy talking about it, and I do sometimes like being challenged. <laughs> I prefer to just know it, but it doesn't always happen. But I like, to, I like to talk about it. But the reality is sometimes I truly believe we get in our own way. And I truly believe we make this relationship with Jesus more complicated than it is. Let me tell you what I mean. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't read 50 steps in there. I read one. Let me try another scripture. Maybe that one doesn't do it for you. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We put so many other qualifications on the relationship with Jesus. He just said, hey, man, just give me your heart. He didn't say come perfect. He didn't say you had to be any certain way except willing. If you confess with your mouth, how hard is that? We make it more complicated than that. We dig deep and start talking about all the things to do and not do. The Pharisees and Sadducees did something very similar. There are a lot of churches today doing something very similar. Franklin shared with us about just such a thing in Papua New Guinea. The missionary came in 70 years ago, did some great work, and now religion has started to take over a little bit, and legalism has started to dominate, and they're making it more complicated than God ever intended it to be. Our Father simply wants to spend time with us. You know, my dad was there for me and still is today no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what I feel. I have a brother right now that, that is not in Georgia. He's in California. And, and you know, I, I don't really know how he's doing. I think he's doing well. I hear from dad every once in a while about him, and he calls, and he does talk to mom and dad. And I, know he's, I know he's trying. I know he's, I know he's trying to better himself. But he's gone through some tough decisions and tough choices, I should say. And he's having to live with some of the consequences of those decisions but it doesn't mean my dad doesn't love him. It also doesn't mean my dad won't answer the phone. Answers it every time. We'll talk to him as long as my brother wants to talk to him. Why? He wants that relationship with David. But when David chooses not to pursue that relationship, there's not a lot my dad can do about that. Even though he desires it. Even though he wants it. Even though he puts himself out there. In fact, mom and dad... Flew all the way out to California two years ago. That didn't guarantee David was going to be open to talking to him. Had pretty good hope since it was planned. But even though, what I'm trying to say is, even though my, my father made plans and pursued my brother, it didn't guarantee that he would reciprocate that relationship. Jesus and God, I, I feel like they get blamed so many times for decisions we've made. He wants that relationship with us. 
He's pursuing that relationship with us. But he's also going to pursue that relationship according to right standards. There was a time period that my brother was calling up, and he was getting a little bit belligerent with my dad. And he was using some choice words. And dad would let him go on for just a little bit. But at some point in time, he had to cut that conversation off because it wasn't healthy for him. Now, my brother called back immediately. He would talk to him immediately. But if he started to be belligerent and he started to use foul words and stuff, he would cut that conversation off. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Jesus is there for us the second we want to pursue that relationship with him. But he's not going to sit there and let us just be belligerent, using all kinds of language, and telling him we want to do what we want to do. He's not going to sit there and say, okay, that's no problem, you go ahead. But the second we decide we want to talk to him again, guess what? He's there every time. Every time. Now let me read to you a letter I did write to my earthly father. I wrote the first one on purpose. That was the whole shtick of my sermon this morning, and I'll get back to it in just a minute. Dear Dad, notice I started it the same way. Words are not enough to express the love, appreciation, and admiration I have for you. I was one of those kids that said they wanted to grow up to be just like their dad. And guess what? I did. And I couldn't be happier. You've shown me what it means to love, to show sympathy, to care for others regardless of their concern for me. You've taught me how to lead, but also how to follow. You've shown me how to forgive and how to live. You've been there through the good times, the bad times, and all the times in between. You showed me how to treat others around me with respect and dignity even when they didn't deserve it and even when they don't reciprocate. You've shown me what it means to sacrifice, but most of all, you took the time to show me how to have an abundant life full of joy, full of happiness, and full of excitement. You gave me the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Before I finish this up, it occurred to me that I really am writing this to, to my dad, Eddie Mason. I'm not writing this part to God, but it's interesting to me how much of this is tracking with what I would say to God. I'll come back around to that in just a minute. Because of your example, I now live my life following hard after Jesus. Because you showed me what it means to be human and what it means to be eternal, I now live my life pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus. Because you taught me the value of eternity, I know that we'll never be apart even after death. Because of you, I am who I am today. You see, before my dad was my grandfather. That probably works in your family too. Before your dad was your grandfather. Okay, you're with me, right? And you see, my grandfather made a decision many, many years ago to create a lasting legacy that led to God. He took values and instilled them into my father who then instilled them in me, and I'm now trying to instill those into my children. A legacy is something of value. You know, it can be considered something of monetary value, but it can also be considered something that's passed down as in stories and lessons and values from generation to generation. It kind of reminds me of a story I read from the Titanic. On April the 14th, 1912, at 10 p.m., the Titanic crashed into an iceberg in the mid-Atlantic. And four hours later, it sank. One particular woman in a lifeboat asked if she could go back to her room to get something of importance to herself. 
and they allowed her to go back in. She hurried down the corridor, already tilting dangerously. She was running through the gambling room, piled ankle-deep in money, and in her room were her treasures waiting to be taken. She reached in, and instead of grabbing the diamonds and the gold and the jewelry, she grabbed three oranges and turned back to the boat. Just one hour earlier, she would have chosen those diamonds over those oranges. And it's amazing that in the face of death, how our values change. Matthew chapter uh, 6 tells us something similar, doesn't it? It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal for, while your tre for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the, the lady on the Titanic, while it might not have seemed like it made a lot of sense, she knew she was going to maybe be on that raft for who knows how long. And she knew those oranges could provide her some sustenance for however long she needed to hang on, hopefully. Those diamonds and that gold couldn't do anything for her. When we're faced with our eternal life, we need to think about what's truly valuable to us. You know, another definition for legacy I told you was passing down stories and values from one generation to the next. And I want to read to you Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> says, listen, O my people, to my instruction, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. By the way, this is David. This is in the book of Psalms. He said, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. It continues, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Amen. And then it finishes like this. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. You know, I believe that my grandfather represents these verses very well. Many, many years ago, he decided to be what I call a legacy starter. He grew up in a house that, from what I can piece together, had biblical values. They went to church every once in a while. But somewhere along the line, my great-grandmother, his mother, passed away. And it really wrecked his dad. So much so that he really struggled to be that father to Grandam. So Grandam joined the Merchant Marines in an effort to get away from my great-grandfather and get away from that home and to just have another life. And you know, he'll tell me stories, but those stories are few and far between. And when he tells me, I I'm dumbfounded. I don't recognize the guy he's talking about. I mean, as a matter of fact, I really think he's lying. Many of you know my grandfather and probably will think the same thing. He tells stories of drunkenness, getting into fights, purposefully going to get into fights, looking for fights, chasing the almighty dollar. 
He once told me he had a write-up in the article where he had made a million dollars as a business. I inquired as to where that million dollars was. It's no longer around. But I know now why those stories are few and far between. You see, that guy is what the Bible refers to as the old man. And Grandam killed him and buried him and has no desire to resurrect him. He began that day teaching his kids, my dad and my uncle, and another uncle that I didn't know, about Jesus and the values. And then my dad began to pass that along to me and my uncle to his kids. And as you begin to look at generational stuff, you see the value in that. I shared yesterday a lot about generation stuff. And I'm kind of shortening it today. But I do want to give you one story that I just, it just made such an impact on me. Tammy and I, when we were married, uh, I had just gotten married. We'd been married maybe two or three years, I guess. We went down to a conference in Brunswick, Georgia. And we were struggling at that time. I decided to go into the ministry full time, and she supported it, and, and we took a leap of faith. We were down to one vehicle, which I know sounds bad if you're going to a third world country, you know, even having one vehicle. But for our lives and what we're doing, we really needed two vehicles. But we didn't want to complain and we knew God would take care of us. And the reason I knew God would take care of us is because of the training I had received growing up. So we began to pray and ask God to help us in our situation. We faithfully went down to Brunswick, had a great time at the conference. But on the first night there, as any good preaching service will have, they took up an offering. And so I didn't know if we'd give anything, but I heard God. And I heard him say, if you'll reach in your pocket... Pull every uh, dollar you have out, every bit of cash you have, and put it in the offering plate, I'll meet your need. And I thought, okay, I'm not sure if I hear God because at that time they didn't have debit cards. And remember, we were a long ways from home, so I carried cash. I don't carry a lot of cash nowadays, but I probably would have had $100, $200 possible on me. That may not seem like a lot to y'all, but when you're in the ministry not getting paid, $100, $200 is a lot of money. I wasn't sure, and I didn't tell Tammy. I tentatively reached in my pocket and decided I was going to trust God, you know. And just like any good Christian, I pulled it out. I had one dollar. All right, I can do this, Lord. Plate got to me. Thank you, Jesus. I put it in there. Later that night, I decided to share with Tammy what I felt happened because now I'm starting to question whether or not I heard God. The reason I was questioning whether or not I'd heard God is because how's God going to take care of me with $1? I'm going to put $1 in. He's going to give me a vehicle that costs thousands of dollars. That, that doesn't seem right. I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's what I wanted to have happen. You know, as a kid, that would happen to me sometimes. I, I, would, I would let God be genie in my mind. I'd be playing basketball. I know you never did this, but I'd be playing basketball. Lord, if I make this shot and I miss it. Now, two for three, God. Two out of three. Best try. And you keep shooting until you get it. You know, you're treating God like a genie, right? <laughs> if I rub this lamp, hopefully you'll come out and grant me three wishes. But as I got older, I realized that that wasn't the way that God worked. So I did doubt myself for just a minute. Had I slipped back into my old ways and began to put in what I wanted to have happen. So I shared with Tammy that night what had happened just, just for the heck of it. And she started laughing and she said, you're not going to believe this. She said, I heard the same thing. Now remember, we didn't talk during the service, Okay. 
She said, I heard God say, if you'll reach in your pocket, pull out all the cash you have and put it in the offering plate, I'll take care of your need. Then I began to wonder, how much cash did she have on her? I wasn't sure. So I asked her, did you do it? She said, I sure did. I said, how much cash did you have on you? She said, nothing. She said, I had lint in my pocket. I said, you put that in? She said, I sure did. So we got a dollar and a piece of lint in the offering plate, trusting God. We didn't think much more about it. We just said, you know, it is what it is. God's going to do what God's going to do. I had that attitude. It was very sincere. And the reason it was is, again, because of my training, because of the legacy that my grandfather had started and passed down to my dad, who continued that legacy that led to God. We got home a few days later, and on our answering machine, you guys don't know what that is, do you? I'm not talking about voicemail like on your phone. No, no, no. We didn't have cell phones then. We had an old school machine that sat at your house and had these little tapes, and people had to call and leave a message on that tape. And if you had too many messages, you had to erase it so it could start again. So we walked in, the little lights blinking. We got a message. We play the message. It's Tammy's dad, my father-in-law. He says, hey, we decided to go replace your mother's car. Give us a call. We want to talk to you about her car. <laughs> okay. But he didn't give a price, so I was still a little bit concerned. I knew what I was hoping was going to happen, but I wasn't for sure. But immediately I knew that I'd heard God. Immediately. We drove over to their house. We had dinner with them. We met about the car. I was still a little concerned because, you know, you know, my father-in-law is a great guy, but he's a business guy too, okay? And I wasn't sure what he was going to do. And so he looked at me and he said, I can't just give you the car. My heart sank. Man, I was really hoping that was going to be the way this was going to happen. So I kind of just waited and I said, okay, let's just see what he says and we'll figure it out from there. He said, but I'll sell it to you. I said, okay, Mel, how, how much do you want for it? He said, well, I got to make the transaction legal, so I'll take $1. I reached in my pocket to see if I had a dollar on me right then to make that transaction complete. I don't know if we ever actually paid him the dollar. I can't remember. We wrote a check. Gotcha. <laughs> Gave all my cash away at the, meet, at the meeting. God took care of my need. Just so you know, that's not the only time that's happened. That's not the only time we've been blessed with a car when we were praying about it and didn't tell anybody. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I want to pass along some thanks to my family, to my dad and my grandfather for being obedient all those years. You know, I told, I told the men yesterday that as you create this legacy, as you continue this legacy, each generation gets a leg up on the competition, or better yet, a leg up on Satan. You see, the struggles that my grandfather went through I had the chance, and I took the chance, to avoid them because he told me about them, and he told me how to avoid them. The mistakes my father made growing up, I was able to avoid because he told me about them and told me how to avoid them. The reason that Tammy and I were able to believe for that car and it be serious and not a joking matter was because of the training that we had received growing up, because of the legacy that continued throughout the generations. My father showed me something else. He taught me something else. 
He taught me that Jesus is the answer to all of my problems. Not one, not some, but all of my problems. He showed me that Jesus actually created the ultimate legacy, the longest lasting legacy that ultimately leads straight to God. Jesus gave up his life so that we might live eternally. You know, that's all he's asking for is that relationship with you. He wants you to be a part of his legacy. Whether or not your grandfather, your father, your great-grandfather ever followed Jesus Christ or ever taught you any of the lessons, Jesus Christ, who wrote the book on creating lasting legacies that lead to God, wants you to be a part of his legacy. He wants you in his family. It is not complicated. I laid it out for you in the very beginning. He's not looking for you to be a certain way. He already knows who you are. He knows all of your faults. He knows all of your secrets. He knows everything. But he still wants you. And he still wants me. And he still wants that relationship. So in closing, <clears throat> verse 8 talked about a stubborn and rebellious generation. So dad, earthly dad, thank you for not being stubborn and rebellious towards God. Thank you for preparing your heart and mind. Thank you for having a spirit that is faithful to God. Thank you, Dad, for telling me of the praises of the Lord. Thank you for telling me of his strength. Thank you for telling me of his, his wondrous works. Thank you for teaching me and my children how to love God, how to pursue God with everything that's within us. Thank you for showing us how to secure our eternal lives so that we won't live in agony and torture. Thank you for being the man of God you are today. Thank you for continuing the legacy started by Grandam. Thank you for sacrificing, being obedient, and always showing me what forgiveness looks like, for always showing me what love looks like, and for showing me what Jesus looks like. I'm still that kid that wants to grow up and be just like you. And I pray you have the best Father's Day ever because you deserve it. You are the best father anyone could ever ask. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.